Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to give self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your words and we ask on this morning that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts. And as we head our way in these next weeks towards celebrating the birth of Jesus, we pray that you would be born anew in each one of our hearts. Play this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are officially entering that traditional Christmas season in which the lighting of the first five candles of the Advent wreath happen. And as was said, uh, Advent means arrival or coming in a sense that something that was uh, eagerly uh, anticipated and ultimately finally came. It's ironic that in the midst of the hustle and bustle that we go through in the Christmas season, that the first Christmas came suddenly or kind of out of the blue, both for those who were witnesses on the birth of our Savior and also in the world at large. In fact, we read of no special preparation for Jesus' day when he was born nor do we read of any Christmas celebration in the Gospels or in the New Testament. As far as the world is concerned, Jesus just just appeared out of nothing. Our Apostle Paul uses that kind of concept when he's writing in our text for today. The book of Titus in the Bible is a pastoral letter from the Apostle Paul to a Christian whose name was Titus, who was an overseer of the churches on the island of Crete. Paul's purpose in writing this letter was to offer encouragement and wisdom as Titus endured ongoing opposition from false teachers and false prophets in his congregations. We've been seeing that problem throughout the book of Acts, and we see it here too, and we still see it in the church today. Paul opens his letter to Titus by reminding him for the need of godly leadership in in the church. In those in the church, if they were going to understand and how they can walk with Jesus and get closer to God and live out their faith in Jesus, they would need good godly leaders to do that for them. So even in Titus 1.9, he says, he must, speaking of the leaders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Throughout the rest of that chapter one, Paul goes on to describe who the false teachers are, and ultimately in chapter two, he begins to describe uh, how followers in Jesus Christ can walk with Jesus and live out their lives for Jesus, both in the church and out in the world. 
And then in our text for today, Paul tells us that we can do the same thing. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In these words, we read that the grace of God in the gospel through Jesus Christ not only saves us, but also trains us how to live out our lives for God. In other words, God did not just send Jesus into the world just to save us. He also sent Jesus into the world to transform us so we would live out a life that would reveal Jesus Christ. We see that in that we have two appears that happen in our text. One appears begins at our text, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The other appear occurs in the middle, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first appearing, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, was the appearing of Jesus over 2,000 years ago. Um, The entire life that he had, 33 years on earth, his birth to his death, the crucifixion and the resurrection, Bethlehem, Mount of Olives, the empty tomb, the shepherds hearing voices as angels are singing. That is the first appearing. The second appearing, waiting for our blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the promise of Jesus' return, which is still in effect today, 2,000 years after these words were written. We are today waiting for our blessed hope. We are waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul calls that the blessed hope. The appearing is the blessing hope, blessed hope that we have in the midst of a fragile, violent, self-centered, troubled world. Sometimes it seems as if the second appearing is pretty close. The first appearing is called the appearing of the grace of God, while the second appearing is called the appearing of the glory of God. These two are very, very different things. We are currently living between the time when the grace of God appeared and the glory when the glory of God will appear. And we are entering a season in the church when we celebrate that first appearing, when the grace of God appeared to bring the offer of salvation to all people. We read that when the baby Jesus appeared to Simeon in the temple, who took the newborn Jesus in his hands, looked up to God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. The nature of Christ's first appearing, the season that we celebrate, is clearly described in the Word of God. From Bethlehem, 
through to the darkness of Calgary, to the glorious light of the resurrection. We read this first in John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The appearing of Jesus Christ, Paul says, was the appearing of the grace of God, a, great, a sovereign God, a holy God, who lovingly reached down and picked up and forgave and gave hope to a fallen humanity. John 1.16 says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus first appeared on earth as the grace of God. Of this, G. Campbell Morgan once wrote, The song of the angels to sign humanity is the beginning of the infinite mystery of the incarnate God. From this all light is streaming, all songs are coming, and all hope is flaming into our lives. From the very first moment sin entered the, entered the world, brothers and sisters, grace was on the top list of God's agenda for us. God's heart has always been bent to love, not to judge. There are many today who fear that if they draw near to God, the first thing they will hear will be condemnation. That's not true. In John we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Did you hear that? But have eternal life in order that the world might be saved through him. God's first concern and plan for us was not judgment. And Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for a welfare and not for evil, and to give you future and a hope. The nature of the grace of God is that it's always been God's desire to restore us back into the relationship that we were created for. Since the, the first appearing of Jesus in over the last 2,000 years, God has continued to reveal the nature of his grace. Despite our ignorance and rebelliousness and our willfulness, as we continue to abuse and misuse the beautiful gift of grace that he's given us. Most often we don't see the nature of God's grace until we painfully rub against the grain of God's plans and purposes. It's only then that we begin to know some kind of hope in the midst of our need to be healed and restored in the midst of our struggles, pain, and heartaches. God sees and understands our desperate needs. He then supplies what is needed by his grace. The foundational nature of grace of God is to forgive and redeem and reconcile and restore. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Not only is the nature of Jesus appearing clearly described here for as the grace of God, this grace of God is also the purpose of Jesus appearing, bringing salvation for all people. Now this doesn't mean all people, everyone will be saved. Because the Bible tells us not everyone will be saved. The confusion is solved in knowing that the word all here in the original Greek 
is most often translated not to mean all, everyone, but all and all kinds of people. God went to the cross in Christ for all kinds of people, but not for everyone. And praise God for that. We are, we are all kinds of people. Amen? The grace of God has appeared so that all kinds of people can be saved. That being said, while it is God's first intention to give all kinds of people the gift of his grace, the truth is, by God's sovereign grace, all kinds of people will ultimately reject that grace too. It's then God does eventually move from his love and his grace to condemnation and judgment. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's by the grace of God that we are saved. But that doesn't... That it doesn't stop at that point. Well, God's grace is also manifested in a way that it empowers us to live out that salvation. Grace not only brings about initial change, it enables us to become more and more like Jesus. The grace of God is a, is a powerful force in our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit, but by the grace of God in the Holy Spirit, we are transformed in order to be trained and empowered to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. As long as we walk this earth, brothers and sisters, we will always possess hearts that are always looking for an opportunity to sin. Amen? Pretty, pretty quiet. And so there is always a possibility that we can be guilty of ungodliness. There's always a possibility we could yield to worldly passions. Without the grace of God, we would not be able to live any kind of self-control, uprightness, or godliness. These three words, self-controlled, upright, and godly, look each in a different direction. Self-control is in reference to us. Uprightness is towards each other, and godliness toward God. By the grace of God, we can live peaceful and balanced lives within ourselves, with each other, and with God. But it has to be in our co cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Then we can renounce those things and live that way. In every area of our life, whether it be self-word, human word, or God word, we can be at peace with each other. The grace of God is Jesus himself appearing in our lives bringing salvation, living in us, imparting power, preserving purity, imputing righteousness, filling us with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now Paul points in the second appearing of Jesus into the future. Paul describes this appearing as the blessed hope. And, and 
Normally when we use the word hope, it's a reference to something that's kind of uncertain. But this hope is not uncertain. When the Bible speaks of hope, it is used in regard to blessings that will certainly and assuredly be ours. Revelation 21 tells us that on that day when Jesus comes, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, we read. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. On that day we will see the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ and we will live with him forever. who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. These last two verses, in the Apostle Paul reminds us what Jesus did for us in the first appearing. Jesus gave himself up to death on a cross as a sacrificial payment to cleanse us and redeem us so we might be restored back to God. Paul's words here would not have escaped the notice of Titus and the false teachers in the church because the grace of God was an abused concept in the church in those days. As people were defining the grace of God in their own terms, Jesus gave himself up, not the way they they would define it. They taught that followers of Christ could continue to live in sin because Christ, in Christ they were no longer under the law. Of course, this was and still is false teaching. While it is true that those who are truly saved don't have to live uh, under the law, but live by the grace of God, it's a bigger truth that living under the grace of God is much, much more responsible and much, much more heavier than living under the law of God because it's perfection and only Jesus can do that for us. Jesus' death on the cross was for our redemption. The penalty for our sin has been finally and totally and forever paid for. Jesus, brothers and sisters, has has purified our souls. He has shed his blood and we are no longer under the requirements of the law. But there's more. Our great God and Savior gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify himself for a people for his own possession, so what? So we would be zealous for good works. That's our purpose. What does that mean, zealous for good works? It means to follow Jesus and to live for Jesus and to obey Jesus and serve like Jesus and sacrifice like Jesus and die like Jesus. Jesus defined zealous for good works when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The power of the grace of God is the crucified and risen Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Without Jesus Christ, our natural desire, our strongest motives will always be to love ourselves and please ourselves. But when, by the grace of God, we truly do come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are then truly overwhelmed 
with the undeniable powerful truth that only God matters in life. And as we give ourselves away to that truth, as it works its way through our hearts and our lives, it manifests itself in every fiber of our beings. Salvation means being totally possessed with a deep and mighty desire to love God and please God. And when we do our lives live that way, we will be self-controlled, we will be upright, and we will be godly. A Christian man was once asked if he believed in the miracle of Jesus changing water to wine, and he says, of course I do. He was then asked, have you ever seen Jesus change water into wine? To which the man answered, no. But when I met Jesus, I saw him change beer into furniture in my own home. You have to think about it for a moment. The grace of God still appears to perform miracles today. The mystery, the secret of how to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives is to allow God himself to live in you. The grace of God is Jesus appearing in our lives, living in us, empowering, imparting power, preserving purity, giving grace, changing beer into furniture. Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus is the only answer in a world full of questions and uncertainty. Jesus is the blessed hope we have beyond our troubles, beyond our struggles, beyond our deepest wounds. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that our hearts are beating here today and that we can blink our eyes and breathe through our lungs. By his grace, he provides food and clothing and adequate shelter, meaningful work, the blessing of family and friends. By his grace, we know forgiveness, we know love, we know hope, we know peace, we know glory. By his grace, Jesus heals broken hearts. By his grace, he mends wounded spirits. By his grace, he breathes eternal life into our souls when we open it up to him. By grace, Jesus turns beer into furniture. Beggars into kings, broken children into healed adults, fallen self-centered sinners into restored God-centered saints. Calvin Miller once said, the difference between what God wants for us and what we ultimately become rests in how we break the thrall of those appetites that chain us to selfish lifestyles and selfish life goals. The question we must answer today is not about what God wants for us as much about as what we have become. Because every person in this room, every person in life who claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is still a work in progress. Brothers and sisters, we are all desperate for the grace of God. Every one of us. Every moment of every day. None of us is immune to failing in our attempts to be self-controlled, upright, and godly. Because we are all sinners. We need grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. The problem is so many of us who claim Christ live our lives out like as if God's grace expired right after we got saved. 
And since then you haven't grown much because you're chained to the grace of your own liking. You see, salvation is not merely a reserved seat in heaven or an insurance policy against going to hell. Salvation is the grace of God which compels us to renounce self-centered, worldly desires so we might live out our lives fully for Jesus Christ. The transcendent mystery of the birth of Jesus is that God came as a man. And we are entering the season we celebrate the reality that God became flesh. But the transcendent mystery is the truth is that that same Jesus is ready and willing and able by the power of the grace of God to come into our hearts and into our souls and into our minds and save us and transform us so that we can live for him. I pray in this Christmas season we will celebrate the power of Jesus, the grace of God within us. In closing, I'd like to read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Where Paul writes, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length in height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we say amen today for your grace. We, we say amen to the season when we can every year reorient ourselves back to where we need to be. Help us, Lord, to uh, be a people of grace. Help us to walk in the things that have just been said, not my words, but yours. Most of all, Lord, help us remember that we were created not just to be saved, but to live our lives out for you. Even if it means uh, pain, even if it means loss. But in this time of year, Lord, we got everything from you that we need. And so as we come to the table and we remember what you did, help us to remember why you did it and what we need to do. So we give you our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.